Bloody Elbow presents the MMA Vivisection, the show that gives you a comprehensive breakdown and expert analysis of all the fights happening on this week's UFC prelims card. Paid Bloody Elbow Podcast Substack subscribers will hear bonus content, if available, at the end of the broadcast. Be sure to subscribe at bloodyelbow.substack.com for our newsletter and at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com for our podcast network. Follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at facebook.com slash bloodyelbowblog, and as always, on bloodyelbow.com. Thanks for listening. Here are your hosts, Bloody Elbow fight analysts Zane Simon and Connor Rebush. Hey everybody, welcome back to the MMA Vivisection with me, Zane Simon, and my co-host, as always... Connor Rebush, we're here once again talking about this week's UFC card going down in Kalong, Singapore, headlined by a, I'm almost about to get mad at it again, a featherweight fight between Max Holloway and Chan Sung Jung. We're talking about the prelims right now, though, so I will save my ire <laughs> for other things. Yeah. Um, you know. I don't know. I mean, I, I will say this is definitely an instance where I was so beaten down by the schedule that I looked forward and I was like, man, I know names on all these cards. These are good. This is going to be great. We're going to have this huge respite from this apex plague we've been enduring. Mm-hmm. And uh, it certainly doesn't look as good now in the in the cold light of day. <laughs> this yeah, one. Gon, Spivak, Adesanya, Strickland. Yeah. Krasno Shevchenko, too, is, you know, that's actually damned intriguing. Yeah, yep, mm-hmm. Uh, uh, to be fair, a couple of these cards have taken hits. Sure. Uh, that have definitely reduced their. Like, they just added Nasrat Hogprost versus some guy to UFC 293. I'm like, great. Oh, yeah, Sam Patterson, the really tall, skinny Brit that got yeah, absolutely I don't think that's. I don't think that's it. That was a replacement for Jamie Malarkey, I believe. And Patterson's out. So now they're putting him in there oh. against a guy who I believe lost instantly on this latest tough season. Uh, yeah, one of the prospects who got like wiped out. I think he got submitted in like 20 seconds by uh, Jason Knight. Yeah, that's so, awesome. Can't wait to see Nasr Hawkbrass fight that guy. Yeah. But anyway, these are the prelims of this card. I mean, you know, <laughs> I've seen worse. Um, it's two in the morning and they're prelims, like in my time at least. I didn't say I was going to watch. Yeah, no, I'm just saying that like... <laughs> Not live. They, they are... They are booked as the fights they are, with the only exception being Chidi and Jakawani versus Michael Oleksajic, which uh, really should be on the main card over that Junior Taffa Parker Porter fight or okay. the Rinya Nakamura Fernie Garcia fight, excepting, of course, that neither Njikawani or Oleksajic are regional. Uh, draws of any yeah, kind but that is clearly one of the best matchups on the whole card yeah really it could be the co-main event honestly well what do you mean anthony smith versus ryan's bond two part two. <laughs> um so anyway uh we have my favorite heavyweight prospect in the featured prelim waldo cortez acosta yeah. Love this guy. Fights aren't frustrating at all. I think he's got a great attitude. Just a charmer. That's right. Um, I think he's going to lose to Lukas Breschke. I love your optimism. Well, Lukas Breschke gets out-wrestled. 
You know, that's how he got crushed by Carl Williams. Uh, that's his name, right? Was not Williams' son or Williams? No, I think it's I think it's Carl Williams. Um, yeah, who you badly underrated? Remember that? I didn't know. I will fully admit Carl Williams actually having a. I, I just see a heavyweight wrestling game on the regionals, and I'm like, okay, this works. His your opponents are trash. Yeah, this is fake. This is fake. I I had no reason to believe that he could actually wrestle in the UFC, and now I do. I I, you know, it was like what was it was uh, the uh, Vir- he, he, he was, I mean, it wasn't like the Virgin Islands doesn't have can't compete in the Olympics because they're a U.S. territory, but he was like on the national wrestling team for the Virgin for some tiny country, and I'm like, okay, well. You know, what does that tell me? Is he from the Virgin Islands or is he like a troop? Well, or, or what I'm saying is, is he an American, uh, ethnically American person living in the Virgin Islands? I think he is. Well, right? he's born in the Virgin Islands. He's actually now fighting out of Atlanta, Georgia. So I have no clue. Probably, probably I mean, a military baby. Based on the name, it seems likely that he's a he's a an army brat, right? Yeah. It does seem very. Carl like. Williams is an American guy's name. <laughs> it really is. Um. So uh, yeah, who knows? I don't know. People, people in the army wrestle. Americans yeah. wrestle. Uh, uh, he, we're not talking. About- has talent. I'm. I'm happy to admit that I totally underrated. I wish we were talking about Carl Williams, but we're not. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I am gonna pick Breshke here. You can tell me why I'm. Um. Uh. Why I'm being optimistic after I say that Waldo Cortez Acosta is obviously has the potential to be a good heavyweight. Obviously. Mm -hmm. He is a good athlete. He hits hard. He's fast. And he seems pretty durable. Like, he's got all the benchmarks. Somebody could be a good heavyweight. He does not have a round winner's game. No, he does not. And Breschke does. Yeah. Breschke is a pretty high output heavyweight who does not tire easily. No, it's true. And I think, you know, like he is, he's tough. He doesn't hit hard, but he throws a lot and he can go for three rounds at a steady clip. I mean, that yeah. for me is enough to pick him over uh, Acosta, uh, Cortez Acosta, um, unless he gets knocked out. I don't think Breshki's probably not going to get knocked out. I just think that Cortez Acosta is a rare heavyweight in that he has both size, speed, and power. And both of those three things. Both those three things. I was gonna say both size and speed, but I was like, yeah, power too. Throw that in there. Uh-huh. And that being durable and having those things is enough for him to coast on against most opposition in this division especially one that opposition that is as undangerous as lucas breschke that's really kind of the problem that's come coming up in the ufc is that breschke is he's not a very good athlete he's determined and he throws a lot but he just doesn't seem to have any way to really hurt people in this division and heavyweight is the division that time forgot because what we've talked about the main card Vivian, about the metagame in virtually every other division is not really the way to win fights here. No, it, it is not. It is a way to win fights. We do. There is always a healthy sort of like substrata 
of volume heavyweights. Mm-hmm. Um, I say healthy because they are universally healthier than the other kind of heavyweight. <laughs> they're, <laughs> they're usually thinner. Um, although I guess there's Parker Porter. But uh, it's not the heavyweight. Method. No. Heavyweight is still like, you know, Francis Ngannou was an absolute prototypical heavyweight champ, even by modern standards. Yeah, and and also by the standards of 1996. Yeah. It, it is still a division where... You, if you are absurdly powerful and absurdly tough, you don't need to know anything else. Yep. Uh, and that's just kind of the math I'm doing here. I just think Breshke, like Cortez Acosta will, I think, win a round and a half on hitting harder. Sure. And then survive for a round and a half on fumes. And that'll be enough to scrape out another very narrow, very ugly decision that has you feeling, hey, this guy could be good and isn't. Yep. Nope, that seems perfectly plausible. I'm certainly expecting a close fight because the yeah. the power, the accuracy that Cortez Acosta has um, is enough to steal rounds or steal whole minutes of rounds or, or, or steal fights that he's not otherwise performing well in. Like I said, Breshke got knocked out early in his career. Otherwise, I've seen him take some serious shots. Oh, yeah. No, uh, I think he'll take the shots. I just, terrible. yeah. He, I just and think, he and he hits the body. I mean, that should be a good. Uh, there is no reason that Breshke, in a real division, there's no reason Breshke shouldn't win this fight or couldn't win this fight. I share that sentiment exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just like, you know. And I realize Martin Boudet is much better than Waldo Cortez Acosta as a thoughtful fighter. But, like, Breschke doubled up on him and still didn't get judges to think that he won that fight. It's just... Boudet's a better fighter. He also doesn't hit as hard as Cortez Acosta, I don't know. Yeah, that is also true. He's not nearly as sharp. Yeah. So I'm just going to pick Cortez Acosta to hit hard enough that for two, for most of two rounds, judges yeah. will be like, wow. It is a bad sign, though, right? That he's a heavyweight about whom we're, we're mostly saying that he has like he has that flash kind of power. He just yeah. shot with a really quick hard punch, and he has failed to finish Jared Vandera and Chase Sherman. Yeah, Chase no, Sherman I mean, makes a little more sense because he is super durable. But like, you know, if you're another guy who fits the er heavyweight uh, description, is um. Why am I forgetting his name? Walt Harris. Yeah. And he just obliterated Chase Sherman when they fought. Yeah, no, it is true. I mean, Cortez Acosta should be, he should be the reminder. He's like a best case scenario for every time you see a big athlete in another sport and you think, oh, six months of, of sprawl training and they would be a Correct. beast. This is literally that guy. He is a lifelong other sport athlete who made a very late life jump over to MMA. Yeah. And is learning all parts of the game as he goes. Yeah. Because so ba basically, Breschke has a game that makes sense for virtually any division. Yep. 
in its most basic elements is not the way to win at heavyweight. Like often just gets overridden by heavyweight mm -hmm. physicality. Cortez Acosta has heavyweight physicality, but even by heavyweight standards, I think his game is dysfunctional. Yeah, it is raw. It is. He doesn't actually have the instincts or the tools to deliver his physicality in a way that decisively wins fights. Yeah, no, I agree 100%. I'm just going to pick it, mostly just to annoy you. No, I, because I a like perfectly the, fair pick. I yeah, you know, I and I like the ability to keep saying Waldo. You don't get I, enough. You don't get enough opportunities in the world to say Waldo. Should be more Waldos. Yeah, where or are the Waldos, Connor? Should be more. <laughs> where's Waldos? Should be more Waldos. Should be more Elmos too. Classic name. Yeah. Yeah. It's not just a little fluffy guy. It's a person's name. Elmo, like. You know, El Elmo, the Sesame Street, really, it's really like an Adolf situation there, right? Like. <laughs> <laughs> it is exactly an Adolf situation. Once they came out with the Sesame Street character named Elmo. Yeah. Elmo's just got written out of the, of yeah. the, the baby books. Yeah. And 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 much as Adolf Hitler also ruined the Charlie Chaplin mustache, even though Chaplin had it first, and a bunch of people had that mustache first, it was really just a fashion. Yeah, uh, Elmo has ruined uh, being completely covered in fluffy red hair. But don't tell that guy you don't stop singing on Twitter. Yeah, yeah, the country singer because he's That's trying to, right. He's trying to bring that back. He is. He is. He's out there campaigning for all of the. <laughs> All of, all of the Scots out there. Scott? I thought it was talking about Elmo. <laughs> <laughs> Who's on first? All right. <laughs> this is what we've been reduced to. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Jesus. All right, what are the odds? Odds on the fight. Cortez Acosta is a serious favorite, much more so than he should be. He opened at minus 292, is currently up at 239. So those odds are actually closing a lot in the yeah. recent days. And uh, Breschke opened at plus 248, but has jumped from plus 243 to plus 208 in the last couple of days. So, Seems like they should be reasonably close odds to me. Yeah, like I said, this, this to me has the feeling of a round and a half of Cortez Acosta scraping out scoring. Just... Yeah with the bigger shots and then getting tired and Breschke doing enough work in the last round to win it, yeah. but not enough to finish Cortez Acosta. Sure. We got a, a guy who doesn't do what heavyweights do against a guy who doesn't do what fighters do. Yeah. <laughs> All right. That brings us to a bantamweight bout. Uh, Toshiomi Kazama against Garrett Armfield. And uh, this... This feels like a pretty easy pick to me. Mm -hmm. Toshiomi Kazama has the kind of uh, he has the kind of regional game that is still too common in Japan. Yeah, and used to just be much more common in MMA in general, which is like a very selectively trained mess. Yeah. It's just like, oh, yeah, I don't know. I can see that you've spent time striking and spent time wrestling and spent time grappling. But it's all in isolation to each other. 
And if somebody brings you, A, keeps the fight in any one of those places for too long, your game pans out as very shallow, or B, mixes up the game a lot, you don't really keep pace. Like it's, a, it's a style of fighting made entirely for that, the, what used to be the classic style of MMA fight, where two guys would stand three feet apart mm-hmm. and trade one twos. And then every now and then somebody would do a level change and the fight would go to the ground and they do some grappling. Maybe yep. somebody would fight their way back up. And then you go back to the planted mid distance trading and repeat, rinse and repeat. Discrete phases. Yeah. And that's what Kazama looks and feels like. Agreed. I mean, Garrett Armfield is a bit more, you know, he's a bit of a, uh, your classic wrestler getting into MMA. But he's a swarmer and a scrambler. And he can push a pace. Yeah, I mean, literally Armfield's style, uh, such as it is, worked back in the day. Yeah. Against this sort of disjointed style. Like, this is why the uh, the the prevailing wisdom for many, many years, and still to an extent, is that, like, it's better to be a specialist than a generalist. Mm-hmm. It's better to have a game where maybe you're much shallower everywhere else, but everything is directing you into doing the thing you know you're good at. Yeah. You just awesome. have a built-in game plan, basically. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the whole thing for Armfield, honestly, with his UFC debut was just like, okay, you're not a featherweight, and you're going up and you're fighting yeah. David Onama because you fought him once before. But you're not a featherweight. You're a bantamweight. Yeah. And he still went up there, and he still out-wrestled David Onama for a round. He made a very good effort. Was it, was yeah. it on short notice? Yeah. Yeah. He made a very good effort. I mean, what else was he supposed to do? Yeah. And so, yeah, I just, you know, you drop him back down a division and give him an opponent who's not really that ready to phase shift. Yep. And I got to pick Armfield here. I, I have nothing to add. I 100% agree. Yeah. Odds on the fight. Armfield is the favorite. Opened at minus 174, currently minus 165. Kazama opened at plus 154, currently plus 147. That could be a little wider. I get, you know, they're not any either. Neither of them is an incredibly special fighter, so you don't want to make things too wide. But Kazama feels like a fighter who will not be in the UFC for very long. Armfield just feels like a guy who he probably won't ever get past. You know, he won't get to the upper half of bantamweight because that division is so good and deep and difficult. Mm -hmm. But He'll be around for a while. All right. That brings us to a middleweight fight. Chidi and Jaquani. Michael Oleksajic. Or Mikhail Oleksajic. One of the best fights in the car. Genuinely good matchup. Great fight. Yeah. And um, not a a super easy fight to call. Because it's it's good matchmaking. I mean, we both really like Oleksajic. It has become a little difficult for me to say exactly what his game is. Yeah, he's floundering a little. It seems like it, and it seems like it's been that way for a while, and it is a testament to 
the qualities that that drew us to him as a as a fighter to watch that he has still been picking up wins all the while mm-hmm. but i kind of feel like he's been floundering like since the osp fight since the osp fight is exactly what i was gonna because 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 yeah. he came in with the he, he got to the big show and he was like i'm gonna be super aggressive now i'm yeah. not just gonna be the guy who weathers storms i'm gonna be the storm yep I'm going to be the small, fast, high output, pressuring light heavyweight. Yeah. I don't cut weight. I can go. I can pour it on people. They can't handle my speed and persistence. Just a vicious little badger kind of fighter. Yeah. And and rip their guts out before they realize you've gotten too close. Um. And then, yeah, he like he just couldn't finish OSP despite all his best efforts, despite it looking like he was going to. And he got knocked out because he gassed. Yeah, it submitted. He, he, he got hurt and then submitted. Yeah. But basically, like, suffered exactly what his opponents used to suffer before he got to the UFC. Yep. And since then, he has sort of been flitting between these two approaches from one fight to the next. Mm-hmm. And feels both like he is trying different things and also stagnant. Yeah, I think a big thing that's going happening to him now is that he's going to, into each fight with the, the feeling, I think, of I need to find out which of my games I can impose or wh- which game I can, I can have yeah. in the cage. I need to find out, am I physically stronger than this person? Can I bully them? And if not, I'm going to have to try and adjust. Yeah. And it kind of sucks to be going into a fight without a clear idea of how you want to fight. You know? Yeah. There are a lot of fighters who are talking about like, oh, I'm just going out there and flowing and fighting and I'm going to, you know, whatever happens to me happens and whatever comes, comes. And a few of them become great champions some some people, very good elite fighters yeah but a lot of those fighters just end up at right where alexedric is is mid-card action fighters who have highly variable results because they're never really that prepared for what they're going to encounter yeah i mean the other thing that has been um occasionally exposed is perhaps just a lack of deep wrestling and grappling defense yeah, he's definitely the kind of fighter. He's learning that he has to wrestle a lot if he if he can't rely when he can't rely on his boxing, but that puts him in positions where he can also be wrestled and grappled. And the you know, like so many fighters, the offense is there, the defense is not. Yeah, and it has resulted in a thing where um, even when he can implement some wrestling, like the moment somebody gets a good position, it is not long before they like people finish him on the ground. Yeah, he gets submitted. Basically, anytime anybody out grapples him. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I, I don't think that's the most pressing concern against Chidi and Jaquani. Not that Jaquani no. couldn't f- perhaps find a submission. He's done it many times before, but he's not going to impose a wrestling game. Yeah, he's not going to he's not going to get himself to a dominant position and then find a submission. You say and Jaquani's done it many times before. He He's done it once before. Okay. He's, he has gained superior position in, from inferior positions before. He threatens 13 years ago, he did it once. 
He threatens a lot of the submissions. At the yeah, he has, he has only got one submission in his whole career. Yeah, he, he's he's a very old school grappler in Jaquani yeah. when it gets to that phase in that he, he is a little too happy to just kind of play within the position he's given. Yep. And this is sort of, in fact, his whole game. Mm-hmm. Jaquani is not... Uh, he is another of, of several examples on this card of somebody who does not have a, a game that screams modern MMA. No, he is a he is a striking specialist that thrives on opportunity. Yeah, he's not even necessarily a counter puncher. No, he, he can be a, he he can be at times, but his game is all about him finding waiting and finding what his chance will be. Right. Whether That's it's you coming company. forward or him coming forward, whatever. You know, much more consistently effective fighter. If he had it in his head that he needed to just impose the reach advantage that he has on almost everyone. Yeah. Yeah. And it, that he could make the chances he wants. Yeah. Happen. If he created the offense first. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be a lot. It doesn't have to be a whole lot of creativity or just like, just pivot and jab, man. Yeah. Because um, he's got a crazy frame for the division. He's huge. He's got great power. He's, he's he got good hard. vision. Yep. He's fast. He's accurate. And he does have a good jab. Yeah. Uh, and he knows how to change speeds really well, too, which is what, which is actually probably pretty much other than, you know, the technical aspects of his game. That is probably the reason that he has been as successful as he has been for so long. Yeah. Is that he's both an opportunist and he's an opportunist who it doesn't seem like he's trying very hard or throwing very hard. And he will then all of a sudden crush somebody out of nowhere with a shot that didn't look like it was going to be that fast or that hard. Yeah. He, he genuinely has a feel uh, for yeah. striking, but yeah. he does not have a process. No. And um, so I don't know. I mean, if this is a fight where Oluksaja comes in and tries to bully him, he's probably going to get a lot of success doing that early. Yeah. He's going to be able to push uh, Njokwani back. <laughs> he's going to be able to hit him to the body, which he loves to do. Mm-hmm. Um, he is, you know, going to get a lot of those opportunities he is going to be susceptible to whatever's coming back increasingly as the fight goes on. And it won't take that long. And, and that is even if he doesn't gas as he sometimes does when he pushes too hard. Yeah. Uh, that being said, like it is hard to just confidently pick Chidi on the idea that he's going to find something when he's pretty much going to allow uh, a guy who's all too happy to be dictating to dictate the fight. Yeah, I mean the big like the 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 big stopping point really to me is that Mar- Mark Andre Barrio fight. Yeah, which is a lot like this one in terms of strategy and opponents and all that. Where it's like, oh, you know, you've got a a guy who is happy to work swarm and work in volume coming after you and who has an unbreakable chin. And you are an opportunist who's going to try to find his moment. And we both picked Barrio going into that. And then Jaquani just immediately found his moment and knocked Barrio out. 
I might still pick Barrio if we did that again. <laughs> right. It's the difficulty with Hendrikwani's style. He doesn't, he has the, I might kill you at any moment, but he doesn't have the underlying, you don't get to get that close to me for free. Yeah. That makes it feel ever safe to pick him to do that. Yeah. So he could absolutely just be the first knockout loss of Alexejic's career. Yeah. Uh, you know, it hasn't happened to Alexejic before, but Alexejic has certainly gotten hurt before. And Njikawani is great at finding the kind of moments that Alexejic will unquestionably give him. Yeah, and there, there's a little bit of um, a, a little bit of, of Gregory Rodriguez's striking approach in Alexejic too. So yeah, yeah. Njikawani did find opportunities, but he didn't finish Rodriguez. And then Rodriguez just finished him. Exactly. He he just continued pressing in and creating exchanges. And yep. Njikawani did not have the wherewithal or even the desire to just keep him out of a position where he could find opportunities. Yep. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to pick Alexejic here, but you know, that have that hesitation is right there. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. I, the biggest reason that I'm going to pick Alexejic is if he can bully these days, he will also follow that up with takedowns. And if he can just get on top of Njikawani and stay there for a while, I think he can start slowing him down to the point that... But I just worry that he might just gas doing that. He might, he might. But he, even if he does, I don't think that Njikawani will... I don't know. I think it'll it'll take a lot out of Njikawani as well. Yeah. Um, okay. I, I suppose I'll take Oleksajic. I mean, yeah, the, just the, the underlying thing is that it just doesn't seem like a good way to let a guy like Oleksajic start fighting you the way he wants. Yeah. You can OSP your way out of it. I mean, that's the problem. Yeah, yeah. Just don't go away. Don't get finished. The, the deciding thing is maybe that, unlike OSP at that time, um, Njokwani has been finished quickly with strikes himself plenty of times in his career. Yeah. Um, you know, usually it's a succession, but he's going to get a succession. Yeah. Uh, he got instantly pressured back in the day by Brandon Thatch and got finished quickly. He got beaten up and then taken down and beaten up more by Andre Koreshkov. Uh, and of course, Gregory Rodriguez pressed him, got his face busted open, but just kept pressing him and knocked him out. Yeah. Uh, if I believe that he was just extremely difficult to finish, then I would probably pick him. Yeah. To just continue getting opportunities because Alexejic is going to give him. Yep. And, and Jaquani is great at finding them. Like he is yeah. great at using them. He might only use take one or two per round. But they yeah. will be serious, you know. But he is also good at giving opportunities. He that is. is the problem. He, yeah. He's double-edged, kind of uh, exchanging kind of uh, positions to occur frequently, and that is not always a good way to actually win the fight. Yep. All right. Good matchup. Yeah, great fight, honestly. Uh, that – did I read the odds already? I don't think I did. Njikwani is – this fight's basically dead even. And Jaquani opened at plus 102. Is it minus 103? Alexejic opened at minus 112. Is it minus 107? So, Sounds good to me. Yeah. That brings us to a welterweight bout. Song Kinan, Rolando Bedoya. And um, 
I like this booking too, actually. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it, it's a fight between two guys who probably in a, in a vacuum don't really belong at the UFC level, but both have one exceptional quality that makes them fun. It makes me glad they're here. Like for Song Kanan, he is really just kind of a powerhouse. You know, you don't, he doesn't take a lot of opportunities. He doesn't create a lot of diverse offense. Yeah. But if he does get one chance to really hit you hard, he will really hit you hard. And for uh, Bedoya, he's just UFC level durable. He is just insanely tough. And, you know, we'll make him, he will make himself a fun fighter in the UFC for as long as he gets to stay around, just being insanely durable. I'll, I'll pick Bedoya here because I think if he's going to be insanely durable, Song Kinam will not do enough otherwise to win this fight. Yeah, I think that's a pretty reliable way to pick any Song Kinan fight. Yeah. But it should make for an interesting fight because Bedoya, he doesn't, he does not get scared off by power and he does not refuse opportunities to fill empty space with volume. He may not have a ton of power himself. He's not a great athlete, I don't think. Yeah. In any sense. But he is ultra durable and he understands what the assignment is of that durability. Like the ability to just sit down in front of uh oh what ox fighter, what's his name that he made his debut against? Ox fighter. Yeah, that's his nickname. Uh Bedoya Willie Chaos Williams. Oh, his nickname is Ox Fighter? Yep. His name is already Chaos. Yeah, his his real name is Kalen Williams, so it's, his nickname is Chaos, <laughs> the Ox Fighter Williams. No, too much. Too, too much. much. <laughs> Chaos is good. But uh, to be able to just sit in the pocket with Chaos Williams sure, yeah, and be like, oh, I'll take one to give two is an insane, insane trade to make for a light-fisted kind of messy scrapper. Yeah. But he could make it. He made it all fight. It didn't win him the fight because Williams could just sit down and hit hard all fight, but it, it got him a split. It was a split. Like, yeah, it, that, it made it tough to score. That's enough. Because because Song Kinan, his, his game is really dysfunctional in that he's... yeah. You know, he, he's got, he really has great timing. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's heavy handed, but he is not himself durable at all. No. Nor can he sustain his game despite it being quite low output. Yeah. He yeah. gets tired and he gets hurt. So it is like a total gamble on whether or not Sankina can knock you out or else better hope you don't bring any kind of pressure to him because he is going to have a miserable time. Yep. So Bedoya all day. I think that is just it. Sankinan's fights are so straightforward. The yeah. breakdown is one or the other. 
Now, like these guys are really the the like the prototype of how a fighter can get to a high to a higher level than the regionals. Yeah. With a game that is really only based on like one specific thing. It's like, oh, are you good at one? Th- it, it, it's very much like a, you know, baseball scouting kind of mm-hmm. mode for these fighters where it's like, oh, yeah, no, no, no. This guy bats really well against lefties. And that's it. Can't hit righties for shit. Can't field. <laughs> can't, you know, anything else. But we'll bring him up to the majors as a, you know, a, as a pinch hitter. Sure. In specific situations. Hey. And, you know, that's what you have him for. And yep. that's Sankinan and, and that's Rolando Bedoya. It leads to a, a fighter who can, like, get a big knockdown on somebody as good as Ian Gary. Yeah. But who also can just get like pasted by much worse fighters. Yep. And for Bedoya, it's going to lead to, you know, a lot of fun, scrappy. He's in this fights that he would otherwise be losing on most yeah. other levels. Uh, odds on the bout. Bedoya is a heavy favorite here. Opened at minus 214, is currently down at minus 312. Kinan opened at plus 188, is currently up at plus 263. So, yeah, it's just with Bedoya's durability, as long as that holds up, this feels like a pretty pretty terrible matchup for Song Kinan. Mm-hmm. That brings us to a also difficult to call fight, though, which is. Billy Goff versus Yusaku Kinoshita. Yusaku Kinoshita. Yeah, I was transitioning between frames in my uh, on topology, but uh, Yusaku Kinoshita, Billy Goff. Yeah, um, I don't know if this is super hard to call for me. Actually, no, I, I, I'm not super impressed with um, Billy Goff. But he is aggressive. Um, he is. And Kinoshita to me just really, really has the look of a guy who, is, especially with wrestling, but even in the striking, just doesn't deal well with consistent pressure. Um, you know, he's he looks very smooth in a vacuum in the striking. Yeah. Very relaxed. He goes in there against Adam Fugit. Nobody's idea of an elite fighter, a hard worker, you know, mm-hmm. reasonably well-rounded, but, you know, he, he lands some clean strikes. And then like the first whiff of a takedown, he just gets driven completely to the fence, falls off his feet, gets crushed. Yeah. Um, I think Goff could probably do that. Yeah, is it- there is one problem there for Goff, though. What's that? He's tiny. Let's look at this. Let's look at the the, the uh, size stats here. Kinoshita, he's six foot tall. He's taller than yeah. I thought. Seventy one and a half inch reach. Goff, five ten, seventy two and a half inch reach. Got the reach, but he's just not like he's not a good wrestler, and he's a small even for a welterweight. He's a small welterweight. Like two inches smaller than Kinoshita, two inches yeah. short, and and with a longer wingspan. Yeah, I, he's still a small welterweight. Sure. 
like comparatively to Adam Fugit, Fugit is a technical mess and has a lot of Jamie Pickett's problems, but he's six foot one with a 77 inch reach. Yeah. Like he is a giant welterweight comparatively. Yeah, but, you know, it's just that. I know. Kinoshita does fall to pieces. I know. He's got half a game, you know? He does. He does. I know. I know he's got half a game. I just. I wonder. The reason I find. I mean, I find it's hard to pick is because. Like, you go out and you look at Billy Goff's. His his fight on the Contender Series. Yeah. And it is basically him getting annihilated for the first 30 seconds. Yeah. Minute minute and a half of that fight and then coming back against an opponent who could not handle any pressure, which might be Kinoshita as well, but was also just, you know, it, it was, it, it, it did not be like Goff couldn't even out wrestle him at that point. He tried takedowns, couldn't get him. Had to just settle for swanging away on his opponent. And Kinoshita, like the one part of his game that he has is timing. Sure. He's he's gotta be he's gotta come from some kind of karate background. Yeah. He has that first layer of timing. Yes. Yep. And he's just gonna get so many opportunities to exercise that against Goff. Uh, he might lose still. But that's what makes this fight hard for me to call. Is it like Goff? If if Goff lands or lasts longer than like three or four minutes, yeah, he's almost certainly going to win this fight. Yeah. So I I think I, I I I agree with you. Maybe I'll pick him as well. But the promise to be a much better fighter is much more firmly on Kinoshita's side, in my opinion. Like he he may only have one skill, but it is one skill that is much harder to learn. You know. Yeah, but even it's even like it's like it's even just a very narrow slice of a style within the phase that he's good. Yeah. At. Yeah. No, he's it not is. good in the other phases, and then in striking, it's like. I hope you hang back and let me time you with the first shot. I mean, he can, I think he can even find those shots when people are like going after him, but it's, it just quickly becomes like, he, he doesn't have the meta to, you know, if somebody's going to throw three or four strikes at him, it's going to fall apart. If he can't put you away with that one shot. Yeah. It's just not a very viable it's, yeah. more, it's more pleasant to watch. I mean, I feel it's you. more pleasant to watch. It could be more viable if you know he could really get on that. Just like this is a guy much more than most fighters. This is a guy that should really just be sent to Stephen Thompson, absolutely for like three years. Teach me how to stop takedowns, and teach me how to uh, teach how me to... evasive footwork. Exactly. And and how to how to work a jab. Yep. He doesn't have Thompson's length and frame. But Leonardo Machida could do it. He's got know? Nelson's striking game without Gunnar Nelson's grappling. Yeah. That's not a functional game. It it really isn't. But like Leonardo Machida was not bigger or rangier than his opponents. 
Kinoshita could make something like that work. Sure, but Machida could wrestle and grapple. Machida could wrestle and grapple, and he had better footwork. Much better footwork, yes. So, yeah. I mean, it's not just that he very quickly got out-wrestled, like, didn't even begin to stop a takedown attempt against Fugit. He also just got dropped. Like, he was allowed yeah. onto the front foot, uh, and he landed some clean strikes, and then he just, like, threw a naked kick and just got decked. Yeah, I, I'll pick take Goff. I just... I can easily see Goff just running at him and getting absolutely sure. knocked on his ass and then running at him again. I, I could see a, a, a very Sam Alvey versus, uh, uh, huh. What's his name? Um, machine Prachnio situation. Yeah. But that's hard to uh, pick. Goff definitely has that in him. Yeah. <laughs> He's very one idea at a time, but moving forward with all of them. Yeah. And a fighter for sure. But I'm, I can't. I can't pick that. Yeah, it's true. I want Kinoshi to be to be better than he is, but I should I should be willing to take my foot off that that dream. Uh, Goff is oh he opened at plus one thirty two. He's currently down at plus one one sixteen. Kinoshi opened at minus one forty seven. He's currently minus one twenty eight. Those odds should just keep getting thinner. They should get. They should either be dead even. Or Goff should maybe be a slight favorite. Maybe. All right. That brings us to a woman's flyweight bout. Uh, Leung Na against J.J. Aldrich. And, um, yeah, I think this is this is you. No, this is no, you. No, this is me. Yeah. Damn it. You get um, to lead the depression parade with J.J. Aldrich and just... Not, yeah, I mean, not I, fulfilling her potential, basically. No, I think unfortunately, unfortunately for JJ Aldrich, she probably spent too much of her her career not getting to train like a pro athlete. Yeah, uh, I know she didn't really get to step it up and start training like a full time work as a full time fighter until like 2018, and. In that time, she's not a great athlete, no matter what, no matter how you slice it. Certainly not. But in that time, I think she internalized a lot of not being a great athlete to the point that by the time she was getting to train as a pro and really, you know, put herself in a position to push herself to be, you know, I mean, like, Jennifer Maya isn't a great athlete. Lauren Murphy isn't a great athlete. Yeah. These are women who are, who have reached much higher levels than JJ Aldrich. The main thing is, is that n- neither of them have, I, I mean, I think JJ Aldrich is another great case study in young veteran mentality. Yeah. It's kind of what you're saying, like a bit of sparring partner syndrome, like, don't do too much. Don't try. Uh, don't don't just like, you know, take take big risks. Yeah. Don't um, put yourself out there. Just hang in. Compete right. in the fight. You right. don't have to win it. Survive and compete. And you know, like a lot of those fighters, she um, compared to like Murphy and and Maya, like I think she has better specific technique than either of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? Aldrich has really good boxing. She even has like some great wrestling technique. She's got some good moves in the clinch. 
throws nice straight punches. You know, she she knows how to move her head and come back with counters. She knows how to hit the body. Yeah. Um, but, but the difference is, it took a very it takes a very high level of fight of opponent for those women, especially especially for Maya. But for Murphy, she could still fall into this. You know, as we saw against. Uh, Andrade and Shevchenko. Yeah. It takes a very high level of opponent for those women to realize that they can't win. You know? Right. To feel like they can't win. Not even to realize it, but to feel like it. Yeah. They're... Innate ferocity. Yeah, they have an innate ferocity to them. Fierce competitive instinct that J.J. Aldrich and a lot of fighters of her ilk do not have. Yeah. And some, sometimes they last long enough, they will turn that corner and be like, I'm just going to start beating people. And they're like, oh, wait, yeah. all this time I've spent polishing my game means that like people cannot deal with the depth I bring to them. But JJ has not turned that corner yet. I'm, she may even lack the physicality to be able to turn that corner. Yeah. You know, guys like Jorge Masvidal, he's not a bad athlete, you know? And Bobby Green is not a bad athlete. Bobby Green is, they're both good athletes. And, uh, yeah. And uh, certainly, like, Robbie Lawler, amazing athlete. Like, people who yeah. do kind of turn that corner late in their careers from having developed a kind of, like, road warrior survivalist style. Um, and Aldrich doesn't have that that within her. So, yeah. And she just doesn't look confident in her fights lately. No. Um, like I say, I, I, yeah, I just kind of feel like she got to a point too late where now... You know, even as she's she's in better condition, she's better conditioned, she's stronger, yeah. she's more technical than she used to be. She's also just very easy to push off of her game. Exactly. Yeah. She just never cultivated that like, no, you don't get to beat me. Yeah. Competitiveness. She just doesn't yeah. have competitive drive. And I mean, to be fair to her, like, um, and this isn't say we're going to pick against her. We're just kind of no, no. evaluating the position she's in right now. Uh, to be fair to her, like the two women who have beaten her, Aaron Blanchfield and Ariane Lipsky, both great athletes. Mm-hmm. And Lipsky, while she has a shallow game and a couple ways that she can be completely put out of it, given the kind of fight Aldrich wants to have with somebody, she was Aldridge was never going to win that fight. I mean, in, in hindsight, I don't know how I yeah. called it at the time. I probably did call Aldridge because I respect her game. Yeah. So look at it. And it's like, oh, she's just going to have a fight where she lets Lipsky hang out at range. Yeah. To an improved version of Lipsky, who is a really considered, diligent, and consistent striker. Now. Nah. Yeah. Who's also a much better athlete. She just got owned the entire time. Yep. Um, that so- all said. Yeah. Liang Na does not have no. <laughs> any of the physicality to compete at a high no. le- at, at, at a reasonable level. It's even a well-earned comeback fight for J.J. Aldrich. Liang Na is much more like we need fighters like this to make it to the UFC every now and then. Your Martin Sanos, your Liang Na's, your Michael, your uh, Michael Jackson's. Uh, your or your Mike Jacksons, your your CM Punks, mm-hmm. for that matter. We need these fighters to get to the UFC every now and then to remind all the rest of us 
what your average person who worked really hard and diligently for a long time yeah would be capable of just like as a non-athlete get you know like oh no 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 hard work pays off you'll get there if you're <laughs> if you work hard enough what the what what's in store for the rest of us guys like you know like like Mike Jackson and like CM Punk and like you know Leon uh, Leon Leon Na they all work really hard they all spend a whole bunch of time and devote themselves hard to these sports to try to compete at a high level. And they just don't have it. Yeah. And that's just it. That's all there is to it. You're never going to be fast enough. You're never going to be strong enough. Yeah. This is one of those. Um, this is one of those quadruple A fighter showcases again, where it's like, J.J. Aldrich looks decidedly physically average for a UFC fighter. Yeah. Does that mean she's average for a human? No. No. I don't think so. She will beat your ass in the gym. Absolutely. But Liang Na, I mean, she is like a double-A fighter who has exactly yeah got to this point because the UFC was trying to bring fighters, you know, to, to build a regional to build build a presence out in chi- out of China, Chinese MMA. But you know, she is just not physical enough to compete at this level. And if Aldrich loses this fight, it would be a shocking lack of confidence. It would have to be such a miserable show up for her yeah you know she would have to be broken by her recent experiences which she may be but i don't think so uh, yeah even that she usually just goes in there and tries to do the same jj aldrich things I, i think she will find them working yep uh she is a minus 478 favorite after opening at minus 546 over leong na no, no, opened at plus 425 is currently at plus 380. A lot of odds like that on this card, aren't there? Yeah, yeah. A lot, of, a lot of wide lines. That brings us to a featherweight bout. Sung Woo Choi, Jarno Aarons. And this is actually kind of a difficult fight to call as well. Yeah, this is a pretty good matchup, actually. Yeah, mostly just because Sung Woo Choi seems absolutely bound and determined to not be a good fighter. <laughs> yeah, what's going on? Like, he just refuses. You know? It's like, oh, sure. I'm really powerful and have good form and have a great frame and strong striking tools and all these things and can even counter wrestle when when pressed and fight back. I think he just, I'm, yeah, I think he just has tunnel vision. Like, yeah, he is. Uh, he is way too single minded as a fighter. Like the comedy of him coming into that fight with Michael Trisano. Yeah, instantly double knockdown. How often do you see that in the yeah. UFC? <laughs> it almost never happens, even in MMA as in general. But it's because he's like, I'm going to do my left hook. That's a punch I have that's good. He's right. Yeah. 
Yeah. Great left hook. And then it was try any one other punch to set it up and go with it. (laughs) I swear to God, it was the only punch he threw in the entire fight. Like I'm exaggerating a little, but not as much as you'd think. Yeah. Just lonely, non, no setup, no follow up, just left hook, left hook, left hook. I got hit. You know, I'm going to try and count you with a left hook. You take a step back. I'm going to leap at you with a left hook. It was like, like I, my, my touchstone uh, for this kind of single mindedness was uh, used to be, um, used to be Gray Maynard, Frankie Edgar three. Mm-hmm. Were Gray, and there's a much better reason for it there because within that fight, he caught Frankie with that right uppercut, and then yeah. he just like could not think of anything else. He didn't just get suckered into thinking, "I'm going to knock this dude out." He got suckered into thinking. I'm going to knock this dude out with this one particular punch and completely yeah. forgot all the things that led him to that point, all the ways that he could follow up. Once Frankie started adjusting to it, he just wanted that right uppercut. Sung Woo Choi is a better example of that across a number of fights. He yeah. Zeroed in on doing one thing, which happens to be that left hook. And he is better than that. Oh yeah. He should be yeah. a good fighter. All the tools are there. <laughs> He should. He has a much more complete game, but it's like, yeah, I, I, it's almost, I don't know. Uh, it's not even like he like started knocking everyone out with it. He just got like so fixated on doing yeah. this one thing. It's difficult to say what went wrong in his brain that led him to this point. Yeah. I would love to see him turn it around. Yeah. This you know? is a good opportunity, too, because Jarno Aarons is uh, not terrible anywhere. But his game is really undercooked everywhere. Yeah. Like, he came into that fight, his debut against... Uh, Gomi. Gomi's. And, you know, he... You could see he would he would press Gomi's and, like, get him into the clinch or something and be like, oh, I'm going to hit a, a hip toss here and throw this guy to the mat and start working him over. It was just like, no, that that actually is really limited technique. And yep. anybody you're not stronger than will not fall for this. Yeah, but he you're also not... had good ideas on how to like create collisions with Gomi as he was yeah. trying to evade him. He um, sort of ducked him into a head kick that if the range had been just slightly different, probably would have won him the fight. It was a very yeah. well-timed attempt to catch Gomi ducking. Um. You know, he came back and, and drew shots at Agomi and hit him with some nice counter hooks a couple times. Yeah. A lot of singular good ideas. And um, and he's not going to get an opponent here who, like Gomi, is just going to be focused on frustrating him. No. So he's going to be getting a lot more opportunities. And uh, and I, I, I don't know. I, I just really want Sung Woo Choi to settle, settle the hell down. Yeah, be better. Like, all you have to do is stick this guy on the end of your one-twos. Yeah. Throw some front kicks to the body. Bro, the left hook will come. Yeah. It'll come, man. And just make him pursue, like, make him stop him every time he wants to pursue you with a front kick and then hit him with one-twos on the outside. That's it. That's all you got to do. You have what? You have a 74-and-a-half-inch reach to his... Well, he's, he's, apparently Aaron's just got a 73-inch reach. Aaron's is pretty big. Yeah. He's pretty lanky. But, like, 
you just he doesn't fight long and you don't have to play with this like just do that that trezano fight was just such an encapsulation i think of it's just like he's just convinced himself he's like this devastating puncher he comes in with an idea and it just takes literally he has to be nearly knocked out to shake that idea from his head at all and then the moment that he got a actually i say that i mean he got almost knocked out immediately and it didn't change the way he was thinking yeah he had to get hit and miss a bunch and then he had a moment where he hurt trezano with go figure a combination of punches a right hand which set up the left hook and because he saw trezano hurt he just went completely ballistic like he just he's just uh, he just can't think yeah he just can't think. He's not actually conscious of what he's doing in the cage. I think I'm going to pick Jarno Aaron's. Yeah, I think I am too. I really had been, pre- I was prepared to pick Sung Woo Choi here, but the more I think about it, the more I talk about it. Aaron's has never been knocked out. Yep. And he knows how to, ma- how to make a mess. Yeah. So if he just goes in there and has a messy fight with Sung Woo Choi and doesn't let him off the hook, he can probably find a way to win it. He's just got to hang around. I mean, Sungwoo Choi just makes yeah. so many unforced errors in his fights lately. Yeah. Um, and yeah, he just he just can't seem to change course at all. It really sucks because, like, you know, the fight he had. Yeah. Uh, use of Zalal. Yeah, great performance. Really good, really good showing from him. Yeah. And Lord but, knows he has taken Alex Caceres to school. Yeah. Until he just got, you know, it didn't seem like a reproducible comeback at all. Yeah. And then he's just been like, I don't know, it just feels like he's spiraling since then. Yeah. It's weird. Uh, They're not the first fights he lost. I mean. Yeah. You know? It's 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 really strange. Guy debuted against Ivloev and Tucker and came back and looked good after that. Yep. Brutally, brutally hard matchmaking for a UFC debut. And yet, uh, it just seems that now he has uh, somehow, after his little run, he uh, he has just completely fallen off the rails. Yep. Odds on the fight. Aaron's is the underdog. Opened at plus one ninety eight. Is currently plus one forty four. Those odds getting closer in a hurry. Choi opened at minus two twenty six. Is currently minus one sixty one. I would not be surprised if that was if Aaron's wasn't a small favorite by fight night. Honestly. Yeah, it makes sense. All right. For those of you not subscribing to our Substack, you should subscribe. We're going to talk UFC 292. For those of you who are, subscribe to our Substack. Stick around. To access the bonus content of this show, you must be a paid subscriber. To do that, go to bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com and subscribe today. Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Podcast production. Subscribe at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com. Give us your email and receive notifications when your favorite shows drop straight into your inbox. We're also found on a wide variety of podcast outlets. Just search for Bloody Elbow Podcast and you will get new shows throughout the week, including the MMA Bunker and MMA Tete-a-Tete shows with Kid Nate, the Level Change Podcast, the Hey Not the Face Podcast, 
the MMA Vivisection main card and prelims UFC preview shows, the sixth round post-fight show, the Show Money podcast, and the MMA depressed us.